This is Lawrence and Bruno. And welcome to Cybersecurity Talks, the interview podcast for cybersecurity professionals and for those who aspire to become one. My name is Laurenjach and with me is my co-host Bruno Weinborg. Together we interview industry experts and explore what it's like to work in the cybersecurity domain. Join us on our journey and listen to our bi-weekly episodes and learn about the latest trends, real-life war stories and everything you need to know about this fascinating industry. Welcome back to another episode of Cybersecurity Talks. And let me introduce you to our next guest, nobody less than Santiago Aragon. Over the past years, he has traveled and worked in different countries. He's the author of some well-known industry publications. He was invited to speak in China, and he's currently working as a tech lead at Xlink. When you hear all this, you probably think he's close to getting retired. But no way, he's just 30 years old and super excited to do a whole lot more. So get ready, buckle up, because we're going to have an exciting episode where we will talk about the start of his career, what he would do if he would be a hacker, and why cybersecurity will have an impact on all of our lives. Today we have the honor of, of having Santiago Aragon with us. Um, welcome to Cybersecurity Talks. Uh, on your LinkedIn, it says, uh, talk to, to me about technology, cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and uh, business strategy. But first, I would like to ask you some short questions and uh, have your opinion or your thoughts. What you need to know about me. What meal do you start your day with? Well, thanks for the invite, first of all. Uh, I'm very honored to be here. And directly into the first answer then, my first meal of the day, coffee, always. Just coffee? Just coffee. Okay. Um, Android or iOS? iOS. What is your favorite phone app? Lately, I'm a lot into home automation. So I'm trying to make a lot of... Uh, things efficient. So I have a, a couple of meters that tell me efficiency gains and, and changes of trends. So I will go for them. Cool. Um, work from home, office or a mix? I, I think it's a mix for me uh, lately. Uh, my geek part says uh, work from home. I actually build a very nice office uh, slash gym now. Uh, and I enjoy a lot to be there. There is a lot of focus time. I have Blackboard behind me. But at the end of the day, I think business is done between people and a lot of great ideas and spark of uh, new crazy things is done. Well, we have this kind of chat, so I also enjoy a lot of human contact. Are you a gamer? Uh, I was. Uh, not anymore. Uh, I used to have a, a roommate. Uh, he was a lot into Call of Duty. I tried to get back, but uh, I think I'm too old. And, uh, <laughs> that's Too uh, old, too old. <laughs> um, what is the oldest appliance in your uh, home? Well, old is relative, I would say. Uh, I don't think there are that many old gadgets. I think my oldest appliance will be a fridge that came with my flat uh, that cannot weirdly enough connect it to my Wi-Fi. <laughs> Crazy. Damn fridges these days. Yeah. <laughs> Laptop, desktop, server, or virtual machine? Uh, it depends for what. Uh, for my personal um, personal stuff, I always do laptop. Actually, I try to move to iPad because uh, I can draw a lot. That helps me to visualize and, and to get my creativity flowing. Uh, for when there is some coding need, uh, I definitely go for my laptop with a big screen. Um, virtual machine, when we need to do some 
cybersecurity crazy stuff that needs to stay there. Some crazy stuff. Let's get into that uh, later. Um, tell us about uh, a guilty pleasure of yours. I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I, I'm very proud of all my pleasures. Uh, <laughs> but if you ask for a weird one, uh, I would say lately uh, big data and artificial intelligence. Cloud or on-prem? Cloud. And what is the first word that comes to mind when I say cybersecurity? Uh, me being eight years old and uh, saying to my dad, I want to be a hacker. <laughs> and uh, can you tell us what your password to your email is? Yeah, of course. One, three, four, uh, dot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try that after the, after the recording. The beginnings. Santiago, yeah, we're super excited to have you. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show. We were introduced by a mutual friend, and she said you were one of the most brilliant security professionals that she knows. However, she also mentioned you're a, a big mescal connoisseur. Is this correct? I don't think she knows a lot of cybersecurity professionals, uh, <laughs> but uh, thanks for the compliment. I love mescal, that's true. I actually went a couple of weeks ago, I think more like a month, back to Mexico, and uh, I was visiting with my girlfriend and my family, uh, Palenque, that is where actually you produce mezcal. So we went through a mezcal cata of 13 different mezcals. Uh, it was a fun activity. Uh, Santiago, if I would run into you in the elevator, besides you telling me you're a mezcal connoisseur, what else do uh, I need to know about you and your uh, impressive career so far? Hi, Lawrence. Nice to meet you. I am Santiago. Uh, I am actually 30 years old. Some people will say young, some people will say old. I don't know. I'm just uh, 30 <laughs> years old. I grew up in Mexico. Uh, so 21 years of my life, I spent them in Mexico City. And in the last nine, I have lived in seven different cities. Uh, actually, Mexico City plus six European cities. I study engineering. Then I went into a master's of cybersecurity, privacy, and innovation. I have an entrepreneurial heart. Uh, I love cybersecurity and tech. Currently, I am platform tech lead for Crosslink. That is a scale-up slash startup that is trying to change how software is developed in the financial industry. Amazing. Very exciting to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Um, before we jump in a more serious part of the podcast, could you quickly walk us through your career up on this point? Well, I'm a bit old, so that's going to take some time, but um, I can start uh, very high level. So I am a telematic engineer. Uh, my first education was into telematics. So what is that? A lot of people ask. It's not telepathy. It's not uh, uh, any other uh, magical artifact is just the intersection of telecommunications and informatics. Um, when I decided to jump into telematics was already because I don't want to be a hacker anymore, but I want to be a good hacker, right? So I decided to study something that could allow me to enter into the uh, cybersecurity world. And for me, back then, cybersecurity was about communications and was about informatics. So for me, it was a good click. Um, in my fourth year of engineering, I actually find a scholarship to go to Germany. Uh, I decided to go there for a, for a year to Saarland University. 
Um, some people will consider this uh, one of the best cybersecurity universities in uh, Europe and some other in the world, but uh, that's for the rankings. Uh, there, I actually um, start with theoretical cryptography. So I spent a year uh, doing theoretical cryptography courses, uh, really weird mathematical uh, stuff. And um, at that point, I was about to say, okay, I'm actually not going to go back to Mexico. Uh, I was writing a paper with uh, one professor there, and he said, yeah, why do you want to go, go back if you like it so much here? I said, well, those make sense, right? Let's start my bachelor from, uh, from, from scratch again. That was uh, not well perceived uh, back there in Mexico. So I actually went back. So my, a bit of the, the analysis of, of my friends and, and my family was, you are, you are one year uh, before graduation of engineering, you know? come back, close it, and then go. So that's what I did. I, I, I went back to Mexico. I started my thesis. Uh, and at the same time, I started a, a small company with a couple of friends. Uh, we were very young. Uh, my my co-founders were two of the most clever people I, I ever met, I think. But we still kind of miss the um, size of what we were doing. We, I think, undersold a couple of projects. And, and then... Uh, everyone started to have another kind of ambitious ambitions. So I I went to apply for a PhD in Berlin. Um, I was waiting until uh, the department got uh, some budget for a new student. And in the meanwhile, I got this scholarship to come uh, for cybersecurity, privacy, and innovation. That was a master's that I ended up doing in a lot of universities. At that point, I was, um, well, a couple of years uh, forward uh, in my career. I was about to graduate from my uh, cybersecurity, privacy, and innovation degree, a really fancy name for uh, what it actually is. Well, then the the question was, do you want to stay in the academia or, or not? The academia was a lot of what I knew by then. So I had around, uh, I believe, seven years of studying. Uh, universities and doing research. That's also uh, an interesting choice because you mentioned that um, uh, you went from wanting to be a good hacker uh, yeah. uh, to now joining the dark side again. So uh, there's a difference in uh, looking at the the profession maybe that you uh, uh, want to join or, or be part of. Yeah, in, in my eyes, academia was about the pure knowledge and the love of knowledge by itself, you know, you basically do uh, research because you love knowledge and you want to know more and you want to go forward in the state of the art technologies and methods, etc. Um, and that's what that is one of the reasons I actually decided to go to in the industry because the more I asked, the more I realized that was a platonic idea of myself rather than the truth, um, and. I always enjoy like the speed of development that I will have between years or between jumps, professional or, or, or personal, um, doesn't matter. So I, I like the how f- how fast I can become better, you know. And in the academia was also something that would not be uh, for me satisfying in that sense. It's it's a it's, it's even when you are talking about innovation and the state of the art, 
in general, the field, I think there is uh, a lot of things that move very slow. Um, so I decided to go to the industry, the dark side, uh, as uh, my colleagues will tell me back then. It's not the dark side, it's just um, it has different optimization functions, if you would like to, to think about it. So in the academia, you don't necessarily need to make money. Uh, in the industry, you do, right? And, uh, and you have end users, and you have a couple of things that you need to always think before making a decision uh, that makes things and decisions more complex, and I like complexity, so. And was it difficult to switch from the academic world to the, to the business side? Were a lot of companies interested in your background? That's a good question, actually. Um, I, I think this is something that every university graduate will say. You know, I study theoretical cryptography for one, two years, or I did calculus uh, for three years, and I, I know how to derivate or integrate the most complex function I ever I have ever seen. Then I got to my work, and you know, I used ten percent of that. Yeah, so, how do you put it into practice? Yeah, how do you yeah. put it in, into practice? And the more I uh, go forward in my career, I actually realize that what you learn in university, it has value in different ways, not necessarily in the content always, right? But it university gives you a frame of thought uh, and it gives you the chance to understand that if there is a problem that you can frame in words or in any um, semantic, right? It can be maths, it can be uh, IT, it can be data structures, it can be maybe logical statements. You can solve it, yeah. right? Um, so the jump was big on the people side because university doesn't prepare you to deal with hierarchies, to deal with uh, reasons because is a corporate strategy or because uh, you need to do it because somebody else say it. Okay. And I want to go back quickly to, uh, to the young, uh, the young Santiago, because what was it like for you growing up in Mexico? Cause you're now only 30 years old and you already worked and lived in Germany, Sweden, Poland, Singapore, and now the last four years in Amsterdam, but you were born and uh, raised in Mexico. But what was it like growing up there? Well, um, uh, was, 20 years, 21 years of a very happy life, I think. It is a big city. So that's one of the biggest difference with uh, Europe and, and Mexico or Europe and maybe the rest of the world. Cities are, are very condensed here, very uh, small. Mexico City and their metropolitan area is 25 plus minus mi million people, right? So dynamics... A lot of a lot of a lot of dynamics are about scale, right? And when you have twenty five million people moving around, having uh, dreams and uh, stress uh, and and rush, right? It's a bit different, right? So that's actually something good for my cybersecurity skill set. I think that I I learned to be aware from very young in my life. So I. I learned that you need to double check, you know, who is in your right, who is in your left. Uh, and I also learned that the, there are certain institutions that give you uh, 
safety, right? Like your family, your friends. And, and that's also something very important in, at least in Mexican society. Yeah. And did you grow up in an international environment? Was it always pushed like this is the dream? You, you can also work abroad? No, actually, uh, is I, I didn't know anyone that moved abroad, right? Uh, you have people that go to the United States, right? And you have, of course, uh, low-skilled migrants that go there, but also high-skilled migrants. So there is, especially from good universities in Mexico, there is a lot of workforce going to, to the U.S. because, well, there are better chances there. Yeah. And how was it then for your parents when you sort of dropped the bomb? Like, hey, I, I want to move to Germany. I think I mixed feelings. So they always support all my dreams. They always said, you know, you need to go where your heart tells you to go and uh, where you can do the best out of it. I think they never thought that would bring me to Germany. So <laughs> that was a big bump uh, for my mom, especially in the in the first uh, years. Uh, but then they got used to and And how was it for you? Like you're uh, probably still a teenager or close to 20. And then you go to the airport with just a suitcase <laughs> and then you have to go to the other side of the Atlantic. How were you feeling? I always, uh, my mom always tells this story when I was uh, going to kindergarten for the first day, uh, first time. I just took my small lunchbox and I went down of the car and I went straight into the door. I didn't even say goodbye. My mom was crying. Uh, <laughs> and I think that I, 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 I took the same approach when I, I went to Germany. So don't look back. No, I don't look back. I take a decision and I go for it. Um, sometimes you figure out, okay, maybe I should have done it differently or not. Uh, but that's also what helped me to fail fast and learn a lot. If I would be a hacker. And uh, to hit you with a trick question, if, if you would be a hacker, which which country would you target? Or maybe if you say <laughs> it, it, it doesn't differ much from country to country, but from company size, what do you think is the the sweet spot for hackers to to target a, a company then? Like banks are maybe impossible to, to penetrate, uh, true? Talking about why I learned in university, right? Um, I think one of the most interesting courses I had is economics of cybersecurity in uh, 20 university. And yeah, for me, it sounds really fancy. That's the, the reason why I took it. Uh, but then at the end, um, this really helped me to understand uh, cybersecurity as a, as a business also, and both sides of cybersecurity, the bad guys and the good guys. Um, and it's a game of effort and money. In the good side, you don't want to put more effort or money than the value of the things that you are protecting or than, or than the impact of something wrong, of something that goes wrong will have, right? For example, reputation damage. I will never put a $10,000 billion security program on a website of a single man person. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. On the other side, uh, the bad guys are also very clever, right? So uh, They aim high, of course. They aim high, but they will aim for the uh, best company that they can target with the resources. So uh, hackers and, and, and all these cyber criminals are just businessmen. Right. Of course, not the, not necessarily the uh, technical hacker in a hoodie, but cyber cyber criminals as 
as a as a group, right? They will target the ones that they can target with the tools they have, right? So if you tell me I am leading a ten man cyber criminal operation, and they are, for example, uh, a really good uh, Chinese hackers or Russian hackers, I might be able to target a big company, right? And and what big? The the ones that will make me the bigger profit. Uh, and, and maybe then a follow-up question on that. Um, would you say that you would be applying ransomware to maybe get the money that you'd be after, or would there be a different approach that you would uh, maybe uh, use? It's uh, the question between B2B and B2C, right? Uh, so one of the 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 questions is, do I want to go for a scale? Or for targeted attacks, right? They give you different returns. Uh, for example, the typical scam: I'm a prince from Nigeria, and I need to take out X amount of money. Please put some money in my bank. That goes for a scale, right? So, what's my effort to send an email? Close to nothing. If I want to go to a targeted attack, then uh, I will definitely do ransomware, right? I think that uh, as an industry, there are uh, a lot of challenges there that we have to be able to defend from uh, targeted ransomware attacks. And maybe I will do some mining of crypto in some distributed way. I don't know. Yeah, that seems a very vulnerable uh, industry. I think it, it's very interesting to target there. You see these crazy hacks that a lot of uh, Bitcoins are disappearing. From a financial institution perspective, what what's your take on that on, on the cryptocurrencies and how safe are these mining facilities? Well, platforms. That, that's a very tricky question, Lawrence. I cannot <laughs> say about from a financial institution perspective because uh, I think ING has their own uh, policies around uh, and position of, around crypto. Right. What I can tell you is um, what I know in the personal level of mining facilities and wallets that are also very popular now and how is that progressing? I think as any technology moves faster than regulation, right? And uh, what we are seeing is uh, a different way in which uh, we can move money, right? Or something that we consider to have some value. And just as bank accounts and all the stores of value that we had, all the protections came afterwards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So why do we have um, bills that cannot be just uh, put in a, a copy machine and duplicated? Well, because there are some technology that forbids you to do that. Why? Because maybe it happened a couple of times and we don't want it to happen again. So until we start seeing that there is an actual... Um, problem there and it's evident and so painful for a big amount of people to put some constraints, I think we will see some actions because, well, if you're an entrepreneur in Bitcoin, maybe that's to make it 100% secure is not one of your first um, uh, objectives. Maybe it should, right? But maybe you are into an, another things. Uh, that uh, that depends on the, on the entrepreneur. Yeah, because it could be that 
investors are still reluctant to buy cryptocurrencies because there's always that safety issue. Even though you have a wallet, you can still open your account one day and poof, everything's gone. You can argue the same with uh, a lot of stores of value, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, that's one nice connection to why it's important for us to have a good cybersecurity understanding uh, and not necessarily as businesses, but also as individuals. Yep. If we are moving into digital and a lot of this digital perimeter is not anymore in extremely well-guarded institutions like banks, right? Then you need to start thinking about, oh, I am storing my wallet in my laptop. Is my laptop a secure place to store my wallet? I don't know. You could you could say the same. Oh, what if your bank will give you the chance to store your money in your laptop? Will you store it there? Yeah, yeah. So it's also the responsibility of us individuals. Yeah, yeah. And I want to jump back to um, these more organized uh, criminal institutions because we've also been organizing webinars for cybersecurity talks during COVID. And then one of our guests he negotiates with hackers about ransomware. And he said that lately they see they've just been dealing with, with really big uh, professional organized um, yeah, clans such as the Italian mafia or the, the Mexican drug cartels. But he said that's really scary because they're so professional. They're really capable of what they're doing. Uh, what, what's your point on that? Well, uh, criminals and mafia, is, they are going to be there. Because right. they innovate as well. This is probably a good way to... Uh, they, I, I really believe they are businessmen in the legal sector, right? So we as a society decided these three sectors are legal, these 80 sectors are illegal, right? And uh, I do agree with that, by the way, because for the... For the record. <laughs> for the record. <laughs> yeah. uh, but when, when we legalize a sector, they will jump to the next one. Because they are not into legal businesses, they are into illegal businesses. And uh, cyber mafia is one of the things that are illegal, for example, ransomware attacks. Is, I don't know if you have the chance to go into the dark web. I'm sure you did because you are also almost a hacker. Uh, you can get no comment. <laughs> <laughs> you can get very good client service on denial of service attacks. So... I want to bring down your website, right? Because I have a, a competitor business. Uh, yeah. I want to recruit more cybersecurity professionals than you. Well, I know that your one of your assets is your reputation. And it will not be nice to have you down for a couple of weeks, right? Well, I go to the dark web. I get a DOS attack, right? These guys have 24-7 customer service. And they have cashbacks. They have uh, cash guarantees. If you are not satisfied with the result, you get your money back. So that's the level of professionality you have on these kind of things. And this is a very, um, it's, this is one that is really in the surface, right? But you can think about this level of professionality in each of the sectors of uh, cyber criminals, right? So the people that launder money, the people that take out money from the ATMs, the people that uh, steal credit cards, the people that uh, work for new exploits to get the ransomware in, the people that develop ransomware, they are all very um, close, very, they are very um, detailed into what they do 
they have very well defined interfaces and they cash for what they actually provide in the value chain, right? And then you have the cartels or uh, the organizations that are the ones that organize. That's why they are called organization. Yeah. All these tiny pieces and bits. So the prof- the professionality you will see is is extremely high, right? It's a very well developed business. It has been running for years, and it will be running for a couple of other hundred years, I think. Yeah. So the the we need to start thinking that we are not dealing with a guy in a black hoodie sitting in a remote place uh, trying to steal our money. We are dealing with organizations that know how to do business. They know how to extract value, and they are targeting certain weak points that we have as an organization or society to get what they want. Yeah, and and the the, the tricky part is also they seem to be very successful because these organizations are growing and growing. Are we losing the war? I think it's a infinite game, right? So there is this concept of uh, finite and infinite games in um, in game theory. Uh, if you perceive it as a finite one, you're always going to lose, right? I think that as an industry and a society, we need to perceive it as an infinite game where the aggregate of results should be positive uh, on our side. There will be always battles that we win and we lose. The battles that you win, you cannot see them, right? Yeah, correct. So you will never uh, be... Um, claim in the news, you know, Lawrence, you got the best cybersecurity professionals. That's why we didn't got hacked. But you working for a financial institution, I think you guys should be in a position that you also see that you prevent a lot of bad things from happening. Yeah, so of course. You have maybe the the celebrations, but you 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 don't disclose those. No, I get that. Yeah. And. Uh, I think that one of the interesting things of cybersec is that it's a very dynamic um, industry. So you will never see an attempt of a hundred record state breach. You cannot celebrate it like this. Yeah. You know, you you see some discovery tools here and there. You see, oh, I block a bot that was scanning all my parts. Was that going to be the next bridge? You cannot know. Very interesting to, to hear about this. Um, I was wondering, because you also did a lot of work and research on uh, IoT devices, so the Internet of Things, how, how does it work in this sector? It's more hardware-driven. How do you go about protecting those devices? And maybe already a follow-up question on that. What's the funniest IoT device that you know that got hacked off? Uh, sex toys and these kind of things that are extremely uh, insecure. But I think that's in general, like home automation is not necessarily uh, extremely secure, right? At least now. Not all the protocols that are being used are uh, hacker-proof. And that goes back to, okay, what is the security of your home network, right? If you're maybe using the password that is uh, coming from the telecom provider and that's computed by an algorithm that is in the internet. Well, you know, maybe that's not something that uh, that you want to run home automation on. Yeah. 
And uh, at the end, it's not only uh, toy producers, right, uh, in this case, but it's also the users of this toy, right? Uh, are these parents thinking twice, I'm filming my kid, I'm connecting the device to the internet, nothing is going to go wrong? Well, I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah, for me, the the home automation is really where I, I draw the line. I, I think it's quite safe, but to have everything connected in my house, I, I think there's always a bit of danger there. And you work in security, but in the beginning you mentioned, I do like this home automation, I like to play around with it. But I feel you can only be 99% sure. And, and same with sex toys that are connected to your phone, for instance. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that there's always a risk that, that there's data uh, collected and perhaps shared. So I, th I think for every person you have to decide, okay, am I willing to take this risk? And do I let this risk really inside of my house? At the end, the most secure system is the one that doesn't exist, right? Every time you have a system, you will have the chance that is misused. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. And if toys are going to be also systems because they have a processor and are connected to the internet, well, I will assume that you are owned by default and then you need to prove it otherwise. Yeah, yeah very true. And, and we cannot step away from using all these devices because I think the, these devices are just stacking up and then more and more products are being build that are running on the internet or have a processor yeah yeah we have some challenges uh, ahead of us yeah my advice to young professionals but since you've you've seen so much uh, still at a, a relatively young age but what advice would you give junior cybersecurity professionals or maybe also the people that work as a developer in the IT industry and and want to enter this field i think that everyone is in the field uh if you know it or not, right? So the first thing is to acknowledge it, right? And what I, do you mean by that? We're, we're already in it? You cannot escape. Uh, and it's actually the same with uh, any new business that runs somehow on a website. You cannot say, I am not a tech business, right? I am not using digital. There is no more no digital now. So we are all in a digital world and the digital world has different risks, right? If you are a small entrepreneur that sells uh, something offline, you might argue maybe, but I don't know, how do you make your payments? Oh, you have a phone ah, that is connected to your bank account and you receive money through that. Oh, maybe then you are actually digital. Right, so the you are in a digital world, and digital world has a cybersecurity concern. That's that's uh, something that we need to acknowledge. Some people don't like to acknowledge it, right? And some people uh, delegate their tech decisions to whatever that is not business. I will I will actually argue uh, your business is uh, has tech as a driver, so I will not uh, put it in another room. Um, and also our lives, right? And our lives are highly di digitalized even if you don't have IoT device at home. Yeah. Um, so the the first thing is acknowledgement of this digital world and cybersecurity risk, right? And, and the second one is um, just start uh, 
learning. Like it's just go to the internet and and look for if you're a developer on cybersecurity uh, development practices, right? So you have OWASP, you have a lot of material already uh, written down. You don't even need to be an expert in cybersecurity and hacking. Hacking is not something for hackers, you know? Um, can can you <laughs> explain that? Yeah, in, in, uh, in cybersecurity, you always make the difference between script kiddies uh, and... In cybersecurity, you measure the power of your adversary depending on their capabilities, right? And that can be a script kiddie. So me being eight years old, I was a script kiddie, right? So basically what, what does script kiddie do? Go to a GitHub repository, copy the code, put it in their terminal. Try it yourself. Does it work, right? You don't know if it works actually, right? So it's it's really, if you have the awareness of a script working or not, you are maybe a expert level script kitty. Um, but everybody everybody can do it. You don't even need to have tech knowledge to do that. You just need to do copy paste literally. So for me, uh cyber like if, if you think about it, this can actually cause a, a big problem for a company that was vulnerable to this script. Let's say this Santiago of eight years old happened to target a company that was having a vulnerability exactly with this script, I could have caused downtime in their in their applications. I didn't know, right? I just maybe saw some error or my computer got blocked or something. Be careful, maybe your mom saw something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the end, I, I'm not a hacker, I'm a script kitty, and the company went down for a cybersecurity attack. So there is a disconnect there. So um, everyone... Uh, that is not a hacker is can also be a hacker be yeah. a be, have hacker uh, consequences right uh, so from that perspective you don't need to be an expert also to be aware that there are certain things that you need to uh, think when you are developing software right or when you want to go into uh, cybersecurity as a field right for for developers uh, coming back I will suggest to look at the, at the OWASP um, website. They're a, they're an open source project. They list the attacks that are the most common, and common in a most year. Most successful right? maybe. Even. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can learn about what is a cross-site scripting, what is uh, SQL injection, what is um, actually what is your software not doing as it should be, right? And as I think someone writing software, that's something that you want to make sure. So if I want my software to do A, well, when I'm running the software, a, my software should do A, not A plus B. Uh, and any cybersecurity problem is actually a deviation from this trend, from this uh, behavior that you wanted. Now, in the in the cybersecurity only world, right? So, if you want to become a cybersecurity professional, cybersecurity is so extensive. Like, there is people that do uh, social engineering. That's all cybersec, and they don't even need to know how to turn on a computer, right? Uh, there is people that do certifications, so they are teachers. They don't need to be a hacker. So the first thing that uh, as newcomer in the field should do is to understand what are all the multiple opportunities that cybersecurity offer you, regulatory, audits, uh, software development, 
people security. There is really a lot of uh, areas where you could add value. Uh, and since there are so many areas in, where you could add value, you don't need an, a specific background to say, I want to become a cybersecurity professional. And do you feel you have to be technical to jump in this field? You have a technical background, but I think for certifications or audit or awareness, you might not need such a technical background. I don't think that for every field in cybersec, you need to be technical. I think that everyone that is into a business that has to do with digital needs to understand the basics of digital. So not necessarily because you are going to be a cybersecurity professional, but because you are in a digital business. So even for awareness, you need to know why are you sharing this awareness? And it ends up being at some point a technical reason because maybe uh, if you don't uh, update your device, pointing to my phone now, I can get hacked. You know, or maybe I should not trust someone that uh, throws a USB on the floor. Why? Because this USB might have a virus, and then you very quickly need to explain why it's a virus and these kind of things. The certification world actually started from a workforce that was not technical and needed to become technical enough to understand cybersecurity. So that's a very nice example of. Uh, retraining your workforce, so CISSP and all these kind of uh, certifications, try to uh, have to end up with more cybersecurity professionals without a technical background. So if you go into the curriculum of CISSP, you learn from a, a very high level what is, for example, a network, right? And you don't need to be a computer science to have CISSP. Yeah. Now, I think this is a very valid point that, you, that you're making, just to say don't have all your security people very technical because there are not that many technical people out there. Uh, I, I run a recruitment agency around cybersecurity professionals, so I see that the supply and demand uh, is growing further apart. It, 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 it's getting crazy. I think this is going to be a global problem. So I really like this idea that maybe not focus only on the technical professionals, but but help others also enter this field. And to come on that note, I know you're also a mentor for, for Hello Mentor, where I think it's a very interesting organization where you help students guide them sort of through their career, or no, not through their career, but through their university studies, how to enter the, the working field. What is exactly your role in that? And is it specifically focused for security or is it a well, IT I general? That's a good question. I, that's something I really like. Uh, I have two roles. So in my uh, free time on Sundays, like today, I try to advise them as a company, right? So I, I like uh, these entrepreneurial vibes a lot. So um, I try to give them some advice on um, business development, uh, how to move to the next step, investors, etc. So that's a bit more the innovation part. Uh, and on the part of their target group, I'm a mentor, right? And uh, what does that imply is basically I, every six months, that is normally what a mentorship uh, lasts, I, we, we make some matchmaking between students and mentors and based on the interest that the student have, uh, they will choose mentors or top three mentors and then you allocate basically your mentors with your students and 
what we were discussing at the beginning is that the university doesn't really prepare you for your actual work. And that's what Hello Mentor tries to do. So you, you bring people from the industry and try to um, show to the mentees what it's actually like to work, right? And what are the things that are maybe uh, nice to develop before entering um, the workforce or the industry or the academia? Does it make sense to study a master? Does it make sense to go from bachelor to the industry and then to a master? So all these kind of questions that you that we might have had back in the days, we try to uh, bring people that went through the through these questions uh, and have a, have developed over the years and are able to reflect on okay was it a good decision why uh, maybe I could have explored this this and this and that's what we try to do with the mentees. Um, what I I lo- I love my field so I love cybersec I love tech. Uh, How would you pitch the cybersecurity world to to young students? You know the the nice thing is that uh, you don't really need to pitch it. Everyone thinks that it's a cool field. So I the I think we were discussing at the beginning how different facets the cybersecurity world ha- has. And that's also appealing for students, right? And sometimes for technical students, that is the focus of Hello Mentor, the hacking part is more cool. And you know, it's like, okay, what is it like to be a hacker? And 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 the discussions I had with, for example, mentees is, yeah, but okay, you know, I know that cybersecurity is like hacking and stuff, but what is actually it, Santiago? So I always start with, okay, you know, there is a mind map of cybersecurity concepts and areas. And we go through this mind map and they say, oh, whoa, it's bigger than I thought. So it's not only hacking. Is this the CISO mind map? Yes. Yeah, it's very good. It's a brilliant overview. Uh, Talking about broad moments, one of the mentees I had was in between, should I do a master's? I kind of like cybersecurity because he's on school, um, but I'm not sure. So um, I always share ideas with him and it's more like a conversation, right? So for me, it's someone sitting in the same table at the same level and I just think that I'm older than them and that's my only uh, particular skill I have. Um, and w- within uh, these conversations, uh, we discuss about the cybersecurity mind, uh, mind map, and he ended up saying, you know, it's a very exciting field. Uh, I applied to an internship in ABN because he knew what was cybersecurity better than everyone. He got picked by the CISO as like the his uh, intern kind of uh, mentee uh, yeah. and nice. trainee. And he 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 got uh, from uh, from the CISO a a path that he will follow because he know what I, he knew what he wanted, right? And that's something really nice because a couple of chats that uh, we had together end up being uh, a very nice um, outcome for him because he actually knew what was the field about, he knew what he wanted, and then somebody else that had more experience said, "Oh." I know that you're a brilliant brilliant guy. You know what you want. You know how it works. I'm going to take you under my wing and and help you to develop. Yeah, but it also says a a lot about you, that one of your proudest moments in cybersecurity is actually helping somebody enter the field and maybe pivoting his career. So you're actually the second guest on the show 
that gave this example as being one of the proudest moments in, in, in their career. So I think that that's very special. It's also helping others get yeah sort of the in, in your footsteps in a way. So At the end, that's more scalable uh, contribution you can do, right? The moment you help someone into the field or you spark a thought that helps someone into the field, then you are basically uh, doubling the workforce in cybersecurity. Santiago, the entrepreneur. And you mentioned earlier that Hello Mentor is also an entrepreneurial group of people. What happened with the young entrepreneurial Santiago? The young entrepreneurial Santiago is there. Uh, Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. He was, he was listening uh, from <laughs> in the corner. In the corner. Uh, and I am an entrepreneur uh, every day. Uh, I think that's, of course, is part of starting a company, trying here and there. So you try, you fail, you try again. What, what does the name stand for? I was curious. And that's a very nice story, actually. It's, um, uh, it's X-Link, it's written yeah. X-Link. And it's about crossing borders and linking people. So it's about how, what is the effect of actually um, having uh, the proper bi uh, software businesses on society, right? So that's a bit of the, the ultimate vision that we have, yeah. right? And, and it's how a very bold ambition. I, I like it. It is. We have been uh, called also for bold ambitions before, but I, I also believe that um, if you don't have a bold ambition, uh, it makes it harder to wake up every day and fight difficult fights. So that helps a lot. Uh, and that's part of entrepreneurship, right? So you you don't want to reach the next step. You want to reach the next uh, 10,000 feet. And uh, that's what gives me a lot of energy. Uh, since that day that we were five, uh, now we are 22, right? And we keep growing. Um, we are actually looking for clients now. So we are... Uh, able to go outside to pitch our product to outside people. So it's, it's a very exciting innovation entrepreneurship world where I, I am into. On the other side, I am in the compliance world, uh, in a compliance or regulated environment. So we develop uh, financial, financial applications. Um, and that has a very big component of cybersecurity and risk management, etc. So that's where I also add a lot of value. Yeah. But it sounds like you guys are on a great journey. You're already with 22. It's a very exciting journey. So every day is uh, a unique day. Yeah. And it's indeed very entrepreneurial. But you're still an entrepreneur in a company. An entrepreneur. What? An entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. But do you still aspire to become an entrepreneur yourself? Yeah, I think that uh, the end game for me is having a company, right? Uh, in tech, of course, because everyone does tech these days. Uh, maybe in some cybersecurity aspect, I don't know. I still find it too exciting to say no. So that's that's something that I want to do. And, and also... Um, is what gives me energy now, right? So what gives you energy changes over the years. Uh, for me, that has been the case since 10 years already. And maybe if it changes later, I will say, okay, I want to be a corporate worker now. 
but for now, um, entrepreneurship is, you try to make it work and if it doesn't work, you go for the next one and you try again. Yeah. And is there still a big problem that you would like to solve? Maybe with your own startup? There is a lot of problems that... Uh, but what uh, keeps you up at night? What are you most afraid of? Or a problem that you would really like to solve? Uh, I cannot share that. Okay. If, <laughs> that's IP. Uh, <laughs> if not, uh, you will need to <laughs> to disappear. <laughs> oh, okay. No. Um, I think that there is a couple of ideas I have, but, um, you know, ideas doesn't have any value until you execute. And then uh, for me, that's, so I will be happy to share these kind of things, but it's not really something that I have thought through uh, to sound clever in this podcast. And the second one is, even if I tell you, um, it doesn't have any value until I actually execute. And in, in how many years do we have to invite you <laughs> back again to tell us about it? Well, uh, in five years, you can invite me back and see where I am. I think that we are in a very exciting journey with Crosslink and either we are extremely big in five years or I am doing my next startup. So Amazing. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Muchas gracias, Santiago. Thank it you, really guys. It was, a, it was a very, very nice to be here. Let's see each other in five years. Hasta luego. Hasta la próxima. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with the latest trends, war stories, and exciting career anecdotes. If you enjoyed the show, please review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, could you do me one small favor? Could you please share this podcast with one friend that you think would like this show just as much as you do. Thank you. And for all further information, please go to csrecruitment.nl slash talks and subscribe to this podcast. We will be back with another exciting episode in just two weeks. So see you next time and stay safe.